Hey, Lisa. Hey, Julie. How are you? Good. Should we say where we are? Sure. <laughs> I was thinking, like, yeah, we're we're in your car, following outside of the Montgomery College Central Services campus because we just kicked off our Montgomery College group program, which we are so excited to be back. This is a program we did kind of at the beginning of Run Farther and Faster as a as a track based program where we met runners on the track. Uh, but we're coming back and doing it as a virtual program since uh, work schedules are so different. It's hard for people to get out on a track at the Rockville campus on a regular basis. We're going to do what's worked with our other corporate programs so well is a virtual program where everyone gets a schedule and can do the workouts on their own or they can do them together with their coworkers. And we're just excited to be back with Montgomery College. Yeah, it's a great group of people and it's nice to be part of their corporate wellness program. And we did a kickoff with a PowerPoint where we talked about sort of the fundamentals of running and it was it was fun to see everyone there and they're so lucky. They have an awesome wellness program at Montgomery College and uh, they have all these classes, they have a great coordinator and uh, they're very lucky. Yeah, it's a great environment. So. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. So how was your week, Lisa? It was good. It was good. I am coming off a little bit of recovery from the RRCA, Roadrunners Club of America. You crushed it. Congratulations. It was, it was a pleasant surprise. That is a tough, tough course. It is a five, It's a 10-miler course. And first of all, it's really fast. All of the fastest runners come out. It's a club challenge, which I actually really like because instead of competing for age group position or overall position you're actually uh, competing as a club and the scoring is really interesting it's like a cross-country team scoring where there are scorers and displacers and you basically get points for your placement um, for example, Masters Women. So if you were the first Masters Women, your team gets one point. If you're the second Masters Women, your team gets two points, and so on and so forth. Um, they take the top five, and then I think they have a couple displacers, and um, the top five points are put together, so the lowest points wins the category. And I am super excited to report that the Montgomery County Roadrunners Club Masters Women, Woo! Masters Men, Grandmasters Women, and Grandmasters Men all took first Place. So Which is amazing because the competition is steep. Like you said, it, all the clubs bring out and try to encourage their fastest runners yeah. to be on the course. So the fact that you led the women's master's team to a first place finish is amazing. So congratulations. Thank what you. was your final time? It was 109. 40 something which I think is which is I think almost exactly fantastic identical to last year Great. when it was pouring rain and 37 degrees so but the course itself is very uh challenging it's a it's about five miles net downhill and then five miles net uphill so uh tendency is to go out too fast and I was actually having this conversation with several of our teammates that this is the only race other than Boston where you can be a very fast runner and go out at a fast pace and still be behind a huge number of people on the course. So it's actually pretty crowded the first few miles and there is a tendency or can be a tendency to go out too fast because it's such a fast field. And I mean, it really, it's, it, it's, it's really neat to watch. It's, it's, it's great, but it's for runners of all paces too. And you know, there are plenty of runners that are, that finished toward the back of the pack that, uh, that are still out there getting it done. So it's, it's nice just to see everybody come together as a team 
and run as a club. And MCRC had the most number of runners out. So it was just great to see everybody cheer each other on along the course and at the finish line. What was your, um, were your splits? Did you have um, even, positive, negative? How did that work out Definitely positive just because the nature of the Mm -hmm. course. But I went into this. I looked back and I don't usually look back at my stats from other races. I usually run a race. I don't even look back in my Garmin. But I I did before the race. I, I thought, what did I do last year? How did I pace this? And I went and I looked. And so my finish time is about 109. So that's just under seven minute mile mm-hmm. average. And I went back and looked at last year. My first mile was a 613 <gasps> last year. And I told myself, do not let that happen again. That was, I don't know what happened. I'm, and again, it's part of being pulled out very fast. Yeah. With a, and it's a downhill start. Um, but And there are so many fast people. So I promised myself I would not let that happen again. And so it definitely had more even. So I haven't gone back to look at the splits, but I know as I was going, my first first half splits were about 640 to 650 and my second half splits were like a little over seven like 710 so I tried to straddle Mm -hmm. my average which I feel like I did this time I did not have any 613 averages which I thought was when we always tell our runners don't go out too fast I was like wow last year I really did not listen to my own advice and so I was very cognizant the first mile of hanging back a little bit watching I was a little bit over you know watching my pace overly so just to make sure that didn't happen again I think my first mile was like a 650 or 640 and your time was exactly the same yes so I think that's also a testament to you didn't lose any time by starting out slower in fact it was probably more pleasant at the end for you this year um, where you were not probably having to work as hard yeah, to sustain I felt, your pace at the end. I felt strong, but I also, again, the weather was very different. The last two years has been pouring, torrential pouring rains and cold. So really not great. It felt pretty bad at the end. This year it was beautiful. It was, uh, you know, I think 40s and sunny and dry and no wind uh, for the race. So I definitely felt better, but I attributed a lot of that to the fact that the, the weather was nice, but I did it. That is a very interesting point that I think I was maybe second. I, and again, I haven't looked back at my splits, um, to see exactly what they were just remembering anecdotally from my watch splits. But, um, it definitely, uh, finished right about the same time and just had a more even, a more even race. Well, congratulations. I'm super proud of you. Thank you. It was fun. And how's your recovery been? It's it's been okay. I was a little bit sore on Monday, just again the hilly nature of the course. So I was a little bit sore. I did my long run as I know you did this morning, and I've been alternating my long runs between a twenty miler and then kind of like sixteen to seventeen. So last week we had talked about this. We didn't get the recording on the podcast last week because we lost it, but we talked about this last week. I'd done twenty before RCA, not quite knowing how that was going to play. I did it on a Thursday when RCA was on a Sunday. But that's just how it worked out. And I actually felt really good on that run. And this week I cut it back to 17. I did this morning and slower than I did my 20 last week, which are both are in my slow run, my slow run range. But um, today was even a little bit slower as so I think I'm still probably recovering. For sure. I mean, it's it's been only a few days out, really. Yeah, um, right. So three full days between... Yeah, and I had a, a sort of tough week. I have one kid who had the flu this week and just haven't gotten a ton of sleep this week. And um, I'm feeling a little run down myself. I don't think I'm sick, but, you know, just a combination of a lot of things. So life yeah. gets in the way. How about you? Yeah. I did not do RCA because I had something for my daughter last weekend and wasn't able to do it. But I ran, my, like you, my long run last Thursday. I think I did last Thursday 
16 or 17 and then today I did um, about 18 and a half. I kind of just run, I get up really early to run on my Thursdays when I can't do it on the weekend and I just run until I have to be home. It's like whatever I can fit in. So today it was 18 and a half. I felt pretty good. So I will admit that it's, I'm much more tired when I have to get up so early to run. So this morning I met Felix and Cindy at, they were, they wanted to start early as well. So there are other people as crazy as me, which I so what appreciate. Time is early? What time did you meet? 4.40. Oh! It's so crazy. Um, Anything with a four in front of I know, I like it's awful. So so we did that. It's so much better with company. And then they left and I met up with the Millennium Trail group. And like I've said on this podcast before, they all just run their training paces faster than I do at this point. And I'm very confident that that's not the pace that would work for me for my training runs. So I just hang, hang behind and I still have company because by sort of mid the middle of the run there's more people hanging back with me but they just start out really fast and I know for me if I'm doing that then I'm not going to be able to be in the zones that I need to be in to benefit from my long run um so that's where I am and yeah and then the reason that we both did our long runs today is because we have our monthly Lululemon run on Saturday and that leaves from the store in Gaithersburg, downtown Crown at 9am. So if anyone is looking to do anywhere between a few miles up to seven or eight miles, um, mm -hmm. we run between 30 and 60 minutes, but sometimes people start a little earlier to get an eight or they start a little, they, they stay later. Stay they go out later. longer. Yep. We always have food and beverage and great conversation. And of course, some shopping. So we hope um, for those of you listening that maybe want to try it, this Saturday is a great time to try. And if you've been listening and you've never had a chance to meet us, we'd love to meet you. So come and We meet have us. a lot going on this weekend. What else yeah. do we have? We have oh, yeah. So then, big, big stuff going on in the yeah. running world. So then after the Lululemon run, we decided um, last week we really wanted to watch the trials with each other and others because, I mean, this it's is like Olympic, our Super Bowl. It's our it, Super Bowl. It totally <laughs> is. And the buildup to the 2020 trials has been going on for months. We have loved reading the stories of all of the OTQ, all of the qualifiers, and the things that they have had to go through, and just having the opportunity to watch them all. I love their stories because oh, everyone's has, so great. Everyone is so unique and the one thing they have in common is they've all had to work so hard and balance their running with a lot of other things going yeah. on and get through challenges, their own challenges, their own setbacks to get to that starting line. And while only three will actually make the Olympic team, every single one out there earned that spot. And they may be just may just be there just to finish it or they may be there to see like how much more they can push themselves and what more they can do. So I love, yeah. I, I think it's such a great... I'm excited. Me too. So we're going to have an Olympic trials party. So if anyone is local and you'd like to join us, um, please send us an email at julianlisa at runfartherandfaster.com and we'll send you the address and uh, we'd love for you to join us. Yeah. So then on Monday night, we have another event we're super excited about. Um, we, um, as Lululemon ambassadors, they stick our pictures on the wall. And I got to say, like... In the store. I'm really uncomfortable with yeah. this. I, I mean, I've... I well, first we should say we <laughs> we don't know what pictures are going up. I'm super is... uncomfortable about <laughs> this. So we had our pictures taken a few months ago. It was a real photo shoot where we had to, like, 
run back and forth and the photographer Tina was awesome. The pictures are really nice, but you know, we're all our own worst critics and just the idea of having my, your big blown ugh, up photo up on the wall of a story. I'm I know. super uncomfortable with this, but I also recognize it's such an honor and we're really, really grateful to be ambassadors for this store and this company. And we're and ambassadors with uh, six other yeah. really awesome. So awesome. Badass. If we can say yeah. that. Really inspiring uh, people that we've loved getting to know. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, I'm frankly like humbled and honored that my picture is going to be up on the wall with these other amazing community members in our, in our fitness world. I feel like a little bit of imposter syndrome. I was just going to say that, right? I just feel like, I don't know how to explain it, but I I think I'm uncomfortable with it because when I think of like a big photo of someone representing like fitness on a wall in a store like we that. We don't think of 40 something year old moms. I don't moms. think of myself. Look, I think of you, Lisa, and no. I'm not, I'm not doing this to like, I just, this is how I feel. I just, I'm uncomfortable with it and I need to just own it and be excited about it and be grateful. And I'm sure I'm not, I know I'm not alone. You just said you feel the same way. I think it's just something about well, just putting yourself right. out there in that way. It's, it's, I, I feel a little vulnerable about it. A big picture it. up on the wall. Like it's, it's yeah. Yeah. I, it, we'll see. But, but what I'm really excited about is having our friends and family <laughs> come and hang out and I'm excited to get to see, I, I, I do want to see what they're, I just wish if we didn't like it, we could say, can we change? Can you take it We don't it know what picture they're yeah, putting up the thing. We don't, we don't know. We so, so we're inviting you to come, but we may <laughs> then tell you to leave right away because we don't like the picture. No, we're kidding. There's going to be a toast and food and drink and that too. I Kids are welcome. Like if you want to bring your yeah. kids. Yeah. Is it at six? It's, it starts at six. The toast is at six thirty, And I think the unveiling is at some point All before, the before eight, p- before eight yeah. p.m. So come by, hang out with us, hold our hands, give us yeah. more support, please. Yeah. My kids are, yeah, my kids are coming. Mine are too. And I said, I was like, you don't have to come. And they both were like, oh no, we want That's to see That's what this. mine said <laughs> No, mine, mine didn't say that, but mine said, there's food. We're coming. We want the food. That's, they're we not coming for food. me. They're coming. They're coming for the food. Yeah. Oh, Felix, if you're listening, there's free, free food. food. <laughs> my running partner, Felix loves anything free. So yeah, there's free food. Um, yeah. So those are the things speaking going on. Speaking of food. Week. Oh, yeah. Speaking of food. <laughs> Perfect way to transition into today's guest on the podcast. We had the most amazing, we could have stayed on the phone with her for hours, Um, but we just had an amazing discussion about food and all things fueling related um, with um, a registered dietitian, Laura Moretti. Uh, she is based out of Boston and she herself is a triathlete and a runner uh, and She's run Boston three times. Yep. yep. And gave us great information, not, not sp- just specific to marathon. So if you're, you're not running a marathon, you're thinking, oh, I don't need to listen to this. Such great general nutrition and nutrition as an athlete information. And then specific yeah. to marathon as well. We also asked her some specific questions about um, diet and lifestyle trends. Um, yes. Her thoughts on, you can hear her thoughts on keto, intermittent fasting, and a, and a few other um, trends that a lot of people are following right now. And, and importantly, when, when running or when eating starts to become unhealthy. Yeah. Which, I mean, look, the thing about running is to train. You've got to run a lot and you want to enjoy it. 
But there comes a point at which, when do we say, okay, is this an unhealthy addiction or is this, am I doing this because I'm training? And sometimes it, the lines are blurred. So we talked a little bit about that. Yeah. We talked about, um, under fueling. Interestingly, um, we don't want to, we don't want to spoil it. We want you to listen. But one thing that I found was really interesting is even a registered dietitian who sees patients from all walks of life said that the biggest problem she sees with the athletes is not over fueling, it's under fueling. And which, this we've heard from all of the dietitians yeah. we've ever worked with, with, um, from Amy, uh, from Rachel mm-hmm. and other dietitians that we work with in our area. They say the number one thing they see when they work with athletes, especially is that we are under fueling and we may not even know it. So that was a really, uh, important point to take away as well. Yeah. And I think that goes back, you know, we just were talking about the Olympic trials qualifiers aside from the ones at the very front, most people, them and us and, and, and all of our listeners Running is not our profession, it's our hobby, but we spend a lot of time doing it. But because we have other professions and commitments, we're probably not spending as much time as we should thinking about all the extra things we should be doing, which includes being mindful about our fueling. Which is not easy. I mean, and we know this as just busy people that mm-hmm. are running throughout the day. And, you know, you may go several hours and be like, oh, whoa, what did, did I, when was the last time I ate? Or, right. or we're throwing things into our mouths and not being, you know, conscious of like how much are we getting what are we getting when do we need you know what mm-hmm. are we eating now what do we need right now based on when we run today or what's going on in our days so it's just an easy thing to to not focus on so she gave some great suggestions which you'll hear about some quick and easy fueling options for for snacks and meals which I found to be really helpful so what what do you do Lisa when you are busy you you did your um 17 mile run today what did you fuel with before and after um so before I love peanut butter and jelly Mm -hmm. I just like my go-to so before I went out this morning and I didn't go until a little bit later in the Mm -hmm. morning so I had peanut butter and jelly um during my run I love honey stinger gel Mm -hmm. chews just like we've always used I'm kind of tried and true I stick with those so honey stinger chews uh when I got home I was in a little bit of a rush to get showered Mm -hmm. and get here to meet you so I grabbed out of our fridge I had locks leftover so and I love locks so and I crave salt after Mm -hmm. my runs um so I had some locks on on a bagel and um and ate that quickly and I'm about to go back home and get some more food now because I'm actually still feeling hungry Uh after that and I probably needed more and again was in a little bit of a rush so it was kind of just scarfing it down and grab some chocolate chips on the way out the door too (laughs) truth be told you want the whole truth I had to grab my chocolate chips on the way out the door those flavonoids yep I I needed something sweet after I had the salty stuff so So, I will go home now to 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 eat some uh, and I I eat I'm somebody who eats a lot throughout the day me too yeah like I just I I have stuff in my car Mm -hmm. I keep bars in my car um, I, uh, I, I eat a lot throughout the day, but you're also teaching a lot during yes, the day right. and you have to eat after yes, before I'm, you need to keep yourself satiated. Yeah, so or, that's how I feel like is that I'm yeah. just kind of eating constantly, not huge, necessarily huge meals, but eating constantly throughout the day. What about you? Okay. So there's a couple of things from Trader Joe's lately that I am oh, like me. loving I'm... that have really helped me fuel my run. So one thing I love are these portable overnight oatmeal from Trader Joe's. They're in the refrigerated section. 
Um, and they're called overnight oats. Okay. And they've, they're really, they're high I used carb. to eat their um, frozen oatmeal. It's like hockey pucks that you the put in it. Yes. I don't even know if they sell them anymore, but I, because I haven't had them in a while. Steel cut oats. Yes. Steel cut oats, but they're frozen. And so you can literally just take one out, put it in a bowl, microwave it for two minutes, stir it, microwave it again for like a minute and it's ready. And they're so good. Those are great. I like this even better because you don't have to do anything. They're cold. It's, it's overnight oats yep. that are cold and yep. it's got almonds. And so it's got a little bit of protein and a lot yeah. of carbs yeah. and not, not a lot of sugar. I mean, natural sugars, right. but I love those. Um, so I've done those before I run, um, when I'm running long early, when I'm running really early and not as long, I don't, I don't usually eat. I'll yeah, just, me but too. for today I had to eat something. So I had that and, um, I had a half of it because it was so early. It was hard to stomach, but I knew I needed something. So that was really good. Um, I had a, um, a vanilla gel during my run. Um, just one today instead of multiple because I was going at like a slower pace. If I were doing some tempo miles, I would have had some a couple, but I wasn't going through my glycogen as yeah. quickly, which we talk about. And then after my run today, okay, so don't think I'm weird, but I also left from Trader Joe's. I love their turkey teriyaki jerky. Oh, it is no, so I love their. Good. I love their. We 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 actually get big bags of turkey jerky from Costco. Okay, I don't love the Costco for some reason. I like the texture of the Trader Joe's because it's like softer. Yes, so I like the softer ones. Yet. I'm always taking the Costco bag and reaching in the bottom to find yes. the softer, like the, yeah. sm- the smushy ones. So okay, it's so weird, but this has like been. No, uh, I love it after again right. that salt after my runs. Okay, you know? so That's I what put I, it in like a whole wheat um, oh, tortilla. Oh, you put it in a tortilla. With, okay. With, Wait, wait. Now it's getting weird. Okay. <laughs> and I also liked, um, not with it, but like on the side, I'll have some avocado. So I've got my salt, That's my him. protein, and my carb. And it's really good and tasty. And then I have my dog. Because even when I pull out. You don't eat your no, dog. No, <laughs> yeah. like, my dog. Like, I don't, this is annoying. Next after I eat that, yeah. I have my dog. No. My dog, like as soon as he sees me like pull the bag out uh-huh. and I'm make, making everyone else's breakfast, he's like jumping up on the counter. That's what my dog does when I take out the peanut butter. He, oh. like, he comes running. <laughs> he knows. And sometimes we have those one of those Kong toys, and I'll put the peanut butter in it yes. and give it to him. So he knows. So he will come. If the peanut yeah. butter jar comes out, it's funny. Yeah. So he likes the jerky. So anyway, and then I top it off usually with some piece of fruit, like an apple or a pear or something like that. So that's okay. kind of been my weird. But I just love Trader Joe's for grab-and-go stuff like so that. So what do we call that? The the, the uh, jerky the jerky burrito? The, the jerky wrap? <laughs> I just feel like you're so disgusting, but look, it's oh, like look, the you know lock. It's I, the right, salt, right. the protein, I know. the carbs. I do the same stuff, so <laughs> I do the same stuff. Um, but on the weekends when I have more time, I I really like to make eggs. Which, I was just going to say, like, yeah, eggs, eggs are too. great. Yeah, so anyway. Um, eggs, you can do like omelets too. You can put stuff in it, like yeah. locks. I like to put locks in it or cheese or yeah. know, mushrooms, onions. That sounds so, really good. I'm yeah. hungry. Yeah, I know. And me too. Now I'm going to go and eat. Yes. So we hope that everyone enjoys this podcast with Laura Moretti Reese. And um, we'll provide information in the show notes if you'd like to reach out to her personally um, to pick her brain about your fueling. And Lisa, I'll see you a lot this weekend. Yes, I can't wait. All Lots right. of fun, exciting stuff coming up. So we hope we see some of our listeners too. All right. Have a great week. You too. Bye. Bye. Laura Moretti Reese is the dietitian for the Division of Sports Medicine and the Female Athlete Program at Boston Children's Hospital. Laura is also the owner of her Boston based private practice, Laura Moretti Nutrition, where she provides nutrition counseling for people of all ages. Laura completed a master's degree in clinical nutrition at NYU. 
and possesses a specialty in sports performance-based nutrition, as well as treating low energy availability, disordered eating, and eating disorders in athletes. Laura has an extensive amount of experience in consulting and collaborating with Olympic and professional athletes, local colleges, and universities. Laura is a consultant for the Boston Ballet, U.S. Rowing, U.S. Figure Skating, and an instructor at the Institute for Rowing Leadership. Laura is also a competitive triathlete and three-time Boston Marathon qualifier and finisher. Hi, Laura Moretti-Reese. Welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Hi, guys. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much. We are excited to have you. We first learned about you because you were quoted in an incredible article that Cindy Kuzma wrote mm-hmm. about Amelia Boone's recovery. That yep. was, it went pretty viral in um, mm-hmm. runner's world. And we just loved what you had to say in your approach. And um, we both bookmarked it and said we would love to have her on our Boston Marathon podcast. So Aww. we're grateful that you uh, made yourself available to us because you are very, very busy. Yeah. <laughs> I always have time. The to- number one question, <laughs> the number one question yeah. we get from runners all the time, particularly those training for marathons, yes. is about nutrition. And we always mm-hmm. tell them we are not dietitians. Right. <laughs> we have a wonderful network of, of dietitians that upon whom we rely for, mm-hmm. for expert answers. Mm-hmm. So we are sure that this is going to be a very well-received podcast. With a lot of people looking for this type of information. Awesome. I hope so. <laughs> All right. So we'll get started. Um, and we're basically going to just berate you with questions. So I'm ready for um, you. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. So the first question is pretty loaded. So we thought we would start with the first one. The most loaded question first. Awesome. That is, how should runners generally be eating throughout their training day to day and week to week? Yep. Yep. Well, yes, I could probably talk for like two hours on this topic. So I will try to be succinct, um, but complete um, in my answer. And what I always start off by saying, there's kind of two major overriding themes. I think number one is it's very individual. So I will give, I will provide some sort of general recommendations and everything you know, I'm so glad you guys use use the term dietitian too, right? Um, just really important. A lot of people don't know to differentiate between, you know, those of us that have gone to school for years um, and we're very evidence-based in our practice. So what I'm going to give you are some of the, you know, the real hard set evidence um, on what's been researched and studied and proven to really work. So basically that's a big part of it. It is individual, so what works for one person is not going to necessarily work for someone else, and I can definitely speak more about that. Um, So that's one part of it, and then I'll get into that, and the other part of it is eating enough. I have to be honest that a lot of the people that I work with and a lot of my clients, I actually see a lot more chronic underfueling then, you know, people, I think a lot of times people worry that they're going to be eating too much when they're training. Um, but a lot of times what I see in my population anyway, is this tendency to actually not give the body enough fuel for the the volume someone's going to be doing. So again, those are kind of my, my overriding themes, but I think that the bottom line is that it is going to vary through stages of training. Right. So as the mileage starts to increase, 
typically the biggest macronutrient. So when I say macronutrient, I'm, I'm referring to proteins, carbohydrates, as well as fats. So typically what we see the biggest change with throughout marathon training and as you start to build volume as a runner is the quantity of carbohydrates in the diet. So as I like to say to, to a lot of my athletes of every age, you know, if your body's like a car, the more you're driving the car, the more miles you're doing, you know, the more, the more gas, quote unquote, you need to put into it. So that's really our carbohydrates. So carbohydrates are going to be that number one energy source for really aerobic athletes. So the more aerobic a sport that someone is involved, involved in, the larger the quantity of carbohydrates, so the larger percentage of the diet. So those carbohydrates, when you think of like your early weeks of training for Boston, they might be a little bit more moderate, right? That might be something like um, in terms of like a quarter of your meal um, to, to a third of your meal or sort of the plate, if you will. Whereas when you're thinking more about when you're logging those higher mileage weeks, and I'm sure your listeners, we have a, you know, a variety of the types of weekly mileage that people are running, but that theme of carbohydrate increase as you're building mileage and as you're preparing for longer runs, that's going to be the thing that actually changes the most more than your carbohydrate. I mean, excuse me, no, not the more than your carbohydrates, more than your proteins and more than your fats. So that's kind of a big, um, am I going in the right direction for you guys yeah, here? Absolutely. Cause I could, okay. Okay. I was going to ask you, this is, this is Lisa. I was going to ask, um, and you may get to this eventually, but yeah. now is there a difference between carbohydrates? Because so yep. we can say like, yep. you know, hey, yep. great, I'm going to eat a lot of cake. And, and right. You know, are there, are there do, you, yes. do you recommend a, a particular type of carbohydrates? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there are typically, I'm, I'm going to simplify it and talk about carbohydrates in sort of two two different categories. So we talk about slow digesting carbohydrates and we talk about fast digesting carbohydrates. So these actually both do have a place in a runner's diet. So let's break them down. Let's start with thinking about the category of slow carbohydrates. So these are the ones that were previously known as complex carbs. More people are usually familiar with the terms like complex and simple carbohydrates. That might be more familiar, but we've started, they started to be referred to as slow and fast. So, and that has nothing to do with your running speed, I promise. Um, but a runner here is slow and they're like, wait a second, I don't want to eat those, but um, not for me. But a slower carbohydrate is a carbohydrate. We think of these more as more of our whole grain carbs. So these are the ones they're referred to as slower because they are slower digesting. They contain a larger percentage of nutrients. So you're going to get things such as fiber, usually a little bit of protein, um, a lot of micronutrients out them. So magnesium and zinc, and some of them are even fortified with iron. So these are more foods such as um, things like brown rice, potatoes with the skin. That's good. We like fiber. Um, things like oatmeal and whole wheat bread, uh, quinoa, even actually fruit um, in its natural form is a, or a, a slow digesting carbohydrate. So these are the ones that people quote unquote, I don't, I don't like to use the terms like healthy or not healthy or like good and bad. I don't, anyone who knows me knows that I don't really believe in those terms, but I do think that 
these types of carbohydrates are going to give you a little bit more nutritional bang for your buck. So, and when we're thinking about something like thinking about its name, a slow digesting carbohydrate is actually going to take a longer time to digest. So think about now, I mean, as a runner myself, like I totally know that feeling of why am I feeling hungry all the time, right? (laughs) You're running more and more. So what those slower digesting carbohydrates do is they create a sense of fullness in the digestive system. So they're going to help with keeping you fuller and more satisfied after meals. So we really do like these guys. And I usually say that most of the carbohydrates, you know, typically what's recommended, um, you know, kind of by the the, the USDA and kind of the, the powers that be in nutrition is at least half of the carbohydrates that you're eating in a day, we like them to come from more of these slow digesting sources. So, trying to think about that when you're choosing your meals throughout the day. If you're starting off with like oatmeal for breakfast, like awesome. Like you're, you're already crushing it first thing in the morning. Right. (laughs) Um, you know, even there's a lot of options. Like if you, you know, you like to eat waffles or toast or English muffins, like all these things do come in whole grain options. So, or whole wheat. So if you feel like you can make swaps in one area, I always tell people this does not mean that like every carbohydrate you put in your body needs to be a whole grain because too much fiber, um, then we can start to talk about GI issues, which I will, I will table that because I'm sure that that will be something that we'll talk about a little bit later, but it's all about the balance, right? So if you're like, listen, I really like white pasta, but I'm cool with brown rice or I'm cool with whole wheat bread. Like that's a good place to think about that balance, right? Or even things like beans, which also have protein, also are going to have carbohydrates and fiber in them. So it's kind of like a double bang for your buck there. So that's kind of what we think of when we think of those slower digesting ones. So those are the ones I recommend fueling with, you know, when you can and sort of most of the carbohydrates in your diet, we like to come from those sources. So, but there's always got to be room for a little bit of cake in your diet. I'm, I'm all about that. And I'm all about balance. So. Yeah, that's the, really important to us. Totally. Fun foods. Yes. A hundred percent. Right. Like they taste good. And sometimes we eat something just because it tastes good. Right. Like that's, that's part of being a human. Um, yes. And that's part of like satiating, right? If you feel like you tell yourself over and over again, I can't eat this. I shouldn't eat this. This is bad for me. This is a bad food. Inevitably, what I see is people end up binging on those foods, right? They become this thing that like all of a sudden you're around it and like you can't control yourself, right? So, and that is- I'm I'm so over, I'm I'm getting off topic for a second, but I just feel like- I'm so over everyone in my world. Maybe it's because it's still February saying, I'm not, I'm, I'm not eating any sugar. Oh my God. Like, What's a world without sugar? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, thank you for saying that too. Cause it is like, <laughs> I could not say it enough. And like, it is, it's, I even get it in situations because I'm a dietitian, like people who don't know me that well, I get <laughs> called out places. They're like, you're, you're, eating, that, right? you're eating a cookie. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, aren't you a dietitian? I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm eating a cookie. Like, I know this is okay. I'm not eating a sleeve of Oreos every day, but like, I'm certainly enjoying, you know, I love ice cream. That's one of my favorite things on the planet, but you know, I'm not sitting down and eating a pint of it. Right. So, but it it is about balance and it is about finding that balance um, in your life. And you know, when you're really listening to your body, like you're not going to crave sweets 24 seven. I know that often comes up for marathon runners and, and um, we can certainly touch on that as well. 
But yeah, it's about balance. Like I literally cannot say that enough and I cannot say that enough to my athletes, but you know, it is about timing, right? So again, like I wouldn't, I don't have a problem with someone eating a piece of cake. I wouldn't recommend eating a piece of cake right before you go running. Right. Right. So I should probably touch on that. I should finish my thought around the two types of carbohydrates because I feel like yeah, there's right. so many so, tangents, right? Yeah. So we, we talked about the two types of carbohydrates and then we also want on the plate for the rest of the macros, yes. some fat and some protein. Yeah, absolutely. With, with respect to protein, yep. we often hear this a lot too. Um, you know, we're tearing down our muscles um, we're, every time we work out. We're, we're mm-hmm. so many tears. Mm-hmm. So yep. That's a great reason why after a run or totally. a workout, we want to refuel with a carb-protein combination. Yes, correct. And, we often hear the rule of thumb with respect to protein. Yep. Um, a lot of people follow this, which is um, the about four grams, four of, carbs grams of to one gram of protein. Yep. Carbs yep. To one gram of protein. Yep. Yep. But then yep. we also hear some people say um, have enough protein that it's like fifty percent of your like. There's a formula to use, but yep. Yep. I I just want to ask you. Sure. I don't, think the science has changed much over the years. So right, right. it hasn't changed or yeah. a, a sort of new approach to protein with respect to athletes. So this is a, yeah, you, you bring up, I mean, the ratio, I think it's, it's about when we're talking. So the four to one ratio of four grams of carb to one gram of protein, that is for the recovery window. So we're not talking about like the general diet, like throughout the entire day. So that is referring to that sort of 45, this is debatable, but it's like a 30 to 45 minute window after you finish a run. That is the, that is the window we're looking at for four grams of carb to one gram of protein. I got to be honest with you. It's actually that that is even actually starting to being debated a bit. Like, so we hear. yeah, it's like, that's kind of where, ev- like research, again, research or evidence-based. So yeah, there's been some, like, there's been some discussion about that in the sports nutrition world. Um, but I'm still using it until I'm very much like, I'm kind of old school and stick to the basics and like what we have proven, like until science proves us otherwise. And like, it does, sometimes things change, right? Like that's science is an evolving thing. Um, but so that four to one, like most people hear about like a chocolate milk, right? That's kind of like the classic recovery item, but that's where we're, cause it's four to one carb to protein. That was chocolate um, milk's marketing ploy too. Yeah, right. Exactly. I was like chocolate milk, like really came back on the map with that. Um, so, but actually it's, it's like spot on. Um, there's plenty of other products out there. I can certainly speak to some of that, but, but thinking about that four to one ratio, you know, about 10 minimum of 10 grams of protein, 10 to 20, usually in somewhere like 40, you know, to 60, 80 grams of carb, which usually like available in like a liquid form is most easily digested for most people. When you're thinking about protein throughout the day, the way I calculate, like there is definitely like a formula and a range to it when I'm creating and helping an athlete create a plate that absolutely, I mean, you want to have protein present at every single meal, because when I mentioned before, the importance of also like feeling satisfied and feeling satiated to avoid that sort of like gnawing hunger that can follow you around. And I think lead people to maybe not make the best choices for their recovery. To eat the cake. To eat the cake. 
all the time, right? Like we don't eat cake all the time, all day, every day. Um, but right. You tend to crave sugar when, um, when your body is not satiated and it's looking for energy. So getting protein, and I usually make a very general recommendation, like without, again, getting too nitty gritty with calculations, trying to get a minimum, again, a minimum of about 20 grams of protein at a meal. So if, if you think about like you know, the, the old standard of like a piece of chicken that's like the size of your palm, that's about three ounces. So that usually equals approximately 20 to 25 grams of protein. You could certainly eat more than that. But what I, you know, it's, it is again about that. Like I always tell an athlete, like if you're starting looking at your plate with sort of thirds, so you have a third of it from like your whole grains, preferably a third of it from protein. And then a third of it from vegetables and you want it like the fat sources are typically mixed in, right? Like if you're sauteing with olive oil, you're roasting, you're topping a salad with a vinaigrette, or you maybe you're sauteing your chicken or your fish. Um, but if you sort of start with thirds, you're not crowding out room. Like if you have too much protein on your plate, it doesn't leave you room for carbohydrates, right? And, and if you have way too many carbs, it doesn't give you enough room for protein. So I think that's a good starting point, like a very visual, right? And then you could certainly like go back for more of something, but that's going to sort of ensure you're starting from a balanced place. So um, 20 grams of protein at each meal, um, aside from some of the standards, like a piece of chicken, a piece of salmon, yeah, Greek yogurt is yep. also very awesome. Yep. Those who eat dairy, mm -hmm. what are some other um, convenient sources of protein that you recommend? That Great. Yep. Yep. Do you have any for, for people who are vegetarian? Yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. So I have to say, I think eggs are like the wonder food. Um, I'm a huge fan of eggs and yes, the whole egg. So we don't want to get rid of those yolks. Those give us a ton of nutrients. Um, they're high in vitamin D. We've got some choline in there. We've got some really, really important nutrients. So, but a whole egg is a complete protein. So I do recommend eggs. So if you're a vegetarian, like lacto ovo and you eat dairy and you eat eggs, um, that's a great place to get, to get protein as well. And that could even be hard boiled eggs, which can be part of a great snack and they're super satiating. Um, I do think that, you know, if you're someone that's relying more on your vegetarian or you're a vegan, uh, definitely. I mean, tofu. And if you're using like a tofu source, I do like that, like sprouted tofus are going to be a little bit higher in protein and, and they sell those pretty much anywhere they sell regular tofu. It's just a bit of a denser block of tofu. So it's a higher percentage of protein. So you don't have to eat like a gigantic volume. Um, beans are awesome. So some of my favorites are like black beans, like rice and beans with like some avocado on top and like maybe some salsa or something, a little cheese. If you eat dairy, it's like a great meal. Um, it's a Chipotle. great training meal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny. I really, I just had a conversation with a client today about Chipotle and I was like, I'm actually totally okay with Chipotle. Like it's. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Basically my teenage son, that's all yeah. he eats. Every yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You can get brown. Hopefully he's getting some like a little bit of brown rice. I mean, guacamole is awesome. It's a nice healthy fat, that avocado. And even some vegetables in there, right? They have the sauteed veggies, which are great. So hopefully he's sneaking a little bit of that in there too, right? Yeah, he gets the extra guac. Yeah. I'll give him too much credit with it, but. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Healthy fat. We love yeah, guacamole. Exactly. We love it. Um, 
what other but you know what's great too there there's some companies now that make like dried chickpeas that are seasoned which i you guys love them i love them too i'm like i get them my husband makes fun of me because i literally get them shipped by the case from amazon and he's like i oh they're so good and you know what's awesome about them you guys probably know this but like that they come seasoned with like different, you can get like, I love like sour cream and onion ones or like ranch ones. So if you're getting those cravings, um, they're an awesome way to satisfy that like salt craving. Um, yeah, they have all different flavors of them. So I'm Thank obsessed. Reminder, we were on a chickpea kick we had some boxes for a while. I think I, I'll go back to that. I forgot about those. They're so that. great. And you could throw them in a salad. You could just have them. Yeah. They come in like some of the brands make like portable sleeves of them. So you could throw it in, in your bag for the day, a backpack, a gym bag. Um, but they are great to like a quick protein to add to a salad. Um Things like like grains like quinoa are going to have some protein. They're not super high in protein, but right. if you combine quinoa with a bean or – I love edamame too, and I love dried edamame as well. I don't know if you guys have gotten into that at all. Yeah. Love that. From Target, actually. Yeah. The snack section has a really good dehydrated – Yes. I love Target. That is like my, I'm gone in there for like two hours when I go There's into Target. There's a wasabi, a wasabi one too. Yes. So you can get that same, those flavors. Yep. That, that yep. For that salty, that okay. flavor. What, yep. what, is your, what are your thoughts on, you had mentioned briefly before, um, you know, shakes or getting it through, a, sure. a, getting protein through liquid. What are your thoughts about dietary supplements or protein shakes? Are there any that you yeah. like in particular and what yep. do you feel about them in general? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, no, I think they can be really great. I think, especially for busy people, like I know when I'm training for a marathon and working all day and like trying to make time for, you know, to see my friends and my husband and, you know, often you're on the go, right? So I do think that some of the, you know, I do recommend protein powder sometimes for athletes trying to, who might be struggling with getting protein in their diets as well. So athletes do have elevated protein needs um, over non-athletes. So a non-athlete, I'm going to speak in kilos for a second because a lot of nutrition is in kilos. So it's basically your weight in divided by 2.2, right? For, for listeners. Um, so your non-athletes usually have about 0.8 to one grams, um, per kilo of protein where an athlete might need anywhere from 1.2 up to 2.2 grams. So per kilo. Um, so well, let's I mean, work that out for like somebody who's like yeah, 60 kilos. Sure. That's so between like what 70 and Yep. So 60 times, if it's 1.2, I do not have a calculator in front of that's me that's how sad is this, but yeah, it's like seven, right. About 70, about 70 grams or so. Um, sometimes if people, again, if someone is needs and like this is the thing, like sometimes if someone is in a lower volume period with, with mileage, I might bump up their protein a little bit for recovery. Um, so that they're still getting their calories are elevated, but they might not need the same amount of carbs. Right. Oh, I like that. So if someone's yep. having, um, a down week where yep. they've yep. had a high volume week and then yep. the next week they're taking a recovery yep. week, yep. still eat the same amount of calories, but shift your macros and have a, a little bit more protein. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. Yep. I that's like how I think about it. Works yep. Because yep. Again, earlier you referenced about 20 grams per meal. About, yep. Grams, and here yeah. you're saying, you know, between 16 and 70 or 16 80. Yeah. So that rule of thumb, I would imagine, pretty much applies to any anyone. Yeah. Give yeah. Or take, and plus or minus. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 
and depending on the sport, right, it's going to be, or the time of year, right? Like think about runners when you're not building for a marathon, when you're doing, maybe you're more strength focused, right? So maybe you're trying, I know my, anytime I've been in like physical therapy or worked with a trainer to get stronger for running, it's always about like glute strength and hip strength. And so that's going to help you with like muscle building and recovery. And again, think about it. If your mileage is lower, your need for carbohydrates is is a little bit lower. It's never goes away. And that's another big point. Like we never cut out. I never cut out a food group, right? I always say, unless you have an allergy, or, you know, something like, yeah, a religious reason, I don't cut food groups out. Um, so. All right. Well, then we're going to jump and ask yeah. you a couple questions that we are going to wait, but you brought it up. So we'll, we'll, we'll go here. And that is, we want to ask you about a couple of diet trends and thoughts. Sure. Um, so you just said you don't like to cut out whole food, whole food group. Nope. Um, right. Tell us your thoughts on keto, which it seems like everyone's doing. I will gladly give you my thoughts on keto. Um, I can start with one word. No. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I mean, and I'm very much like, I'm a very much a non-diet dietitian. Um, I do think that anytime you're putting, again, I know I mentioned this before, anytime you're putting these severe restrictions on yourself, people sometimes get these short-term, like, you know, miraculous effects that they feel, wow, like I lost a ton of weight right away. Um, but basically, like I often notice when people are doing these more extreme diets, they slingshot back the other way, right? So check back in with them. You know, I always think that the, I'm going to use the show, the, like The Biggest Loser, as like the best example. They've done research. There was a, there was a big study um, that they did on the contestants. And like the percentage, I, I don't have it in front of me, obviously. So, but like the percentage of people that regained the weight and then some, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's like close this. to a hundred percent. Yeah. Right. New York times yep. yes. article. It was a gigantic study. Mm-hmm. Super sad for this. Yeah. Article. They worked so hard. Right. But like they put them on the sixth street and they, they, they just basically like underfueled them and overexercise them. And like, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. So I do feel like things like a keto diet, like people might love it for a bit. It is the hottest thing like right now. And just like you said, it's like a trend. If you think back, I know when I was in graduate school at NYU, like one of the classes I took, we studied dietary trends like throughout, you know, the centuries. And if you look, there's always something new that's coming up. Right. But like, why is there always something new? Because like, they don't work long term, right? It's like and the, and yeah, banking on that for our money because totally, worked, totally, there would be no diet industry, right? Right, exactly, exactly. And I do, you know, I think it's all about like nobody wants to hear that it's about like people. I feel like we're in a culture too that like really wants things in black and white, right? It's like instant gratification. It's like I don't want to work on changing my relationship with food, or I don't want to work on like slowly like, you know, re working on exercise habits and, you know, people want something that's going to change overnight. And these things like a keto diet, often when someone cuts out something like carbohydrates, they get an initial, like a lot of, um, water weight loss. So sometimes people lose a lot of weight very quickly because of the water weight loss. Um, in terms of a runner, we want carbohydrates because again, we, we want to be actually helps with hydration and energy and like study after study after study continues to prove that. Um, it's kind of another, yeah. What do you think about the other, um, trend that everyone seems to be doing is intermittent fasting. Most popularly seems to be, um, where people don't eat for 16 hours and then do eat for eight. 
Um, I, I think of it as otherwise known as skipping breakfast. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? Because it does seem for some people to, to be pretty easy to follow and they're still getting the same amount of calories. And I'm, I'm actually not specifically talking about runners. I'm just curious. People in general. Yeah. Coach a lot of people and a lot of people subscribe to this and, and they find it to be workable for them. What are your thoughts about it? Yeah. I mean, where I get stuck on this too is like that. And again, it all comes back to, to evidence for me. I mean, I, I'm, and like, I'm the biggest believer in breakfast. Um, I think like if you haven't eaten for so many hours, like your body's depleted in the morning. I'm always been a big fan of like, let's get that metabolism working when you wake up first thing in the morning. Um, and often when someone comes into me, let's say, I mean, I don't, I don't do a ton of weight management, but, um, sometimes someone might come into me and it is about getting them more on a regular schedule with eating. And often I see people actually lose weight when they're when they're eating more consistently throughout the day. Like I think all of these changes, whether it's intermittent fasting, whether it's keto, whether it's going vegan, I think what it forces people to do is focus more on what they're putting in their bodies. Right. So mindful eating, which is it's right. So like my thoughts, like I would say like, I'm not supportive of intermittent fasting. If it works for someone, like I know people have done like modified approaches to it. Like they might say, well, I don't eat after eight o'clock at night. I mean, I'm like, I'm not all for the like time roll. I mean, I get home late some nights. Like I often don't eat dinner till eight 30. Like I'm going to eat dinner after eight 30, you know, after eight o'clock tonight. Like it's so, I don't like people Sorry to feel that. like, just kidding. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. It's normal in my life, guys. Like I, and believe me, this, now my husband is cooking dinner, which is like, I, I'm winning. So, uh, he's like, what do you want? I'm like, whatever you want to cook is awesome for me. So, um, but I, I do think like, you know, it's for some people, you know what if, and I don't want to discourage someone if it's like, it feels like it works for them. They feel like they're able to get into a rhythm with it. It's not, I will say it's not something I would ever recommend to a client. I'm still sort of like, old school and like, again, like tried and true, like let's establish a rhythm. Let's get your metabolism moving. Cause there were some studies and again, I don't have them in front of me to quote, um, that found that it could have some negative impacts, um, on hormonal status. And like some athletes were being found to have like an energy deficit cause it was cutting, they weren't able to get in the calories that they needed. Um, Again, I don't have the study in front of it, and I hate to quote research without having it in front of me. Um, but again, I just I don't think the research is there. And then I also wonder about again, what effect does this sort of have on your lifestyle, right? Like if your friends are going out to breakfast and you're like, "I'm sorry, I can't come. Like I don't eat till noon." Like, you know what I mean? Like to me, it's it's just like is does that really work for your life? You know, so. Again, you're pro- you're never going to get me endorsing like any diet besides like the Mediterranean diet. So, uh, a lot of dietitians kind of share share my feelings there on that. Yeah, no, that's super helpful. And yeah, it's good to hear. And it's it sounds like also um, what we like about your approach is that you're you're not anti um, subscribing to a particular I don't want to say diet, but, but right food food habits, but just, yeah. you're not, you're anti-eliminating, whether it's a meal yeah. or yeah. 
which I like. Or changing your lifestyle yeah. habits or your, what yes. you enjoy doing for uh, yeah. revolving your life around food. Basically. Right. And like so much yeah. of what we do as dietitians is like behavioral work too. Yeah. So we do a lot, you know, we do training on that too. It's like, it's a lot about behavioral change. Lots of coaches too. That's right. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. We speak the same language here. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. yeah. I love my coach. I've worked with her for years. So <laughs> she's a hugely important person in my life. So yeah. yeah. It comes down though to a lot of, of, of behavior. Yes. Know, behavior versus trying yeah. to set hard and fast rules. So totally. So moving kind of back or yep. onto, um, you know, race nutrition. Yes. Yes. About general nutrition, but more specifically, uh, to race nutrition, we have a lot of runners who sure. you know, struggle with what to use during yeah, races yeah. Mm-hmm. and kind of, um, let, let's start kind of with sure. options and you know, yeah. some people, they get GI. We talked a little bit sure. about GI, yeah, 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 yeah. GI issues. Yep. Yep. What, what do you kind of maybe generally recommend in terms of marathon sure. race nutrition sure. and, and more specifically for, you know, different options for people who may experience GI distress with, with the more traditional gels or chews yeah. or that sort of thing. Totally, totally. Yeah, so I know we'll give you sort of what the recommendation is. So per hour, um, you know, for for an endurance event, um, what is recommended is is typically about 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour. So if you think about a gel, a gel is usually like 20 um, even like the chews and things like that, typically per serving, most of the prepackaged nutrition products are around, you know, th- about 20 to 30 grams of carbohydrate. Yeah. Yeah. So again, this is individual and like, I'll work with athletes. Like I, um, I'm a triathlete as well. So I tend to work with a lot of, um, triathletes in my practice too. And, so if I'm working with someone that's doing like, or, or even like, I'll stay focused on marathon, but that might be, uh, what I will say is it might be higher per hour if you're working with someone in an ultra endurance event or like an ultra marathon. But for our purposes of, of the standard marathon difference, uh, distance or half marathon distance, it's 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour. So again, that's a big range, right? So if you want to figure out what the calories are, that's 120 to 240 calories per hour. Okay. So basically how you're going to get that is very individual again. So I think the most traditional way that, that you've already mentioned that like a lot of people think about is, is gels, right? So I'll just speak about those and then I'll, and then I'll give you some of my other ideas, but so gels, even within the gel category, there are so many different brands. Like I know for me personally, like in some, on some of the brands, like I typically, I digest gels well, I've used them for you know, over 10 years and, and that works for me for marathons. So that's what I use. But I know with the brand that I use, I can't take some of the flavors. They cause me GI distress. I know that like, that's why practice is important, right? I'm sure you tell your, your athletes that too. What's like your favorite flavor and brand? Sure. I didn't know if you wanted me to mention that, but yeah, sure. I've been, I've been a fan of Cliff. Um, mm-hmm. I like the Cliff, the, the Cliff shot. So I do the uh, two different kinds. So I do the citrus that has a little caffeine and I can talk, I know that's another um, area I usually want to touch on. So I'll, I'll table that for a second, but so the citrus and I like their vanilla. So I do cliff citrus and vanilla, which is also, um, I know that's typically actually, I'm not, it's usually the on course nutrition. I know it was last year, I ran last it year. Is. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's usually they offer a cliff shot. Um, yep. Right on heartbreak Hill. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Um, (laughs) give you that little glycogen boost. Um, so, or I should say carbohydrate boost, but, um, so yes, so that's that for me that that has worked. It's tried and true. Um, I've tried, I've used goo too, like, and there's some goo flavors I've used. Uh, I am curious about the, the Morton's products, which a lot of my athletes are starting to use, which is supposed to be gentler on the stomach. Uh, so a lot of athletes with GI issues are using the, the Morton's and that's like M-A-U-R-T-E-N-S. Yeah. You guys, are, I'm sure you guys are familiar yeah, with it. That have, have liked those. Yeah. They're, they're getting a lot of like, I have a few, um, I have a few, few of my, few of my ladies I work with are, uh, are going to be running at trials this weekend. And so, you know, we've been tweaking and well, their plans over the past few months. And I know a few of them are really loving the Morton's, some of the Morton's drinks too. Um, so I think that the, the categories come down to, okay, gels. And if you like gels, which brand, which flavor, so different flavor, different brands are going to have more sodium, less sodium. Do you like fruity? Do you not like fruity? I need a variety. I can't do one throughout. Um, so, and how are you using caffeine? Right. So, I'll, um, so with respect to your recommendations, um, sure. like Lisa and I, we typically recommend to our runners who don't have specific, yep. um, stomach issues, yep. um, that they take a serving during the marathon, um, while running fast, a serving of nutrition every 35 minutes. Yep. 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 Um, for some of our runners, they can also, um, include with that intermittently of course you take water yep. with your nutrition yep. to not mix yep. the sugars exactly but yep. then intermittently between taking at a water stop you could take a little a swish of gatorade too yep absolutely so that, that's kind of what divides the yep. the, the range because yep. you're yep. not going to take three right hour, but correct that swish of yep. gatorade so yep. like yep. with respect to lisa yep. and me we'll give ourselves an example in one of our previous conversations a few weeks ago I, I take switches of Gatorade on the course in between yep. my yep. servings of nutrition and yep. Lisa not. Yeah. So yep. um, we're both getting the recommended amount, yep. but it's like the ranges are a little different, but Lisa Absolutely. Is typically out on the course a few minutes or, you know, depending on how bad or good my race is, right. <laughs> she's crossing the finish line before me. Yep. So that also is a question we had is does the, the pace of a runner, um, mm-hmm. also impact how frequently they should take nutrition or how many, what, how, how much many? they need. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting question. Um, because typically our faster runners or the more like nutrition looks different for, you know, I've, I work with some elites. I've worked with professional runners. I've worked with novice runners. Right. So, um, you definitely like a, a, an elitely, tra- an elitely, I don't even know if that's a word, an elite trained runner, um, is going to be better, uh, typically at metabolizing. Um, they're more efficient, I should say, let me rephrase that. So typically and they have their they have their aid stations, and they can have typically most of them do some of them do gel, some of them do liquid uh, calories in the bottle. Um, but they're typically more efficient, um, so they're typically on the lower end of carbohydrates. They they store. Um, I'm going to get all technical here. So typically, the more elite a runner, so typically you would think the faster a runner, right? Um, stores what we call more intramuscular fat. So they're actually a bit better. Their, their bodies are more efficient, which would make sense, right? 
at burning fat. So using fat as a fuel. So everyone always says, well, why can't I just like use fat as a fuel source? Like, and you're going to still, right? Like everybody's body's going to burn fat along with carbohydrate. An elite runner stores fat in the muscle, which actually sounds like it wouldn't be an adaptation, but that's actually a training adaptation. So they can run, they can burn fat as a fast fuel source where someone who's not an elite runner typically does not, can't access fat as quickly. Okay. Cause it's, it's not in the muscle. All right. So an elite runner, a lot of times, I mean, they still need the carbohydrates per, you know, per hour, but a lot of times they're on the lower, um, end of that range. But again, this is where it gets a little confusing because depending on the pace that you're running, depending on where your heart rate is, getting all sciencey on you guys here. Um, right. It's like, if you are sub anaerobic thresholds for, you know, if you are more aerobic, if you can kind of have a conversation, right. Um, your body is able to use a little bit more of the fat that's not stored in your muscle. Yes. Right. Yes. And that's yeah. We're yes. When we train, our, yes. you know, when we're training yes. our runners and we're encouraging them to run aerobically, we're trying yep. to train their yep. systems to bring yep. that as fuel versus. Exactly. Like, and there is definitely, yeah. I mean, that is like some doing some fasted workouts, you know, um, absolutely. So, you know, again, it's, it's a range, um, but I would typically find that an elite on average, again, there's always those exceptions will need is more efficient with their fuel. So they won't need as much, um, nutrition, but we, yeah. What about a runner who is, um, running a marathon and let's say, um, Mm -hmm. four and a half to five hours for the marathon is running three and a half to four hours. Is there a difference between those two? Right. Right. But it's, yeah, no, I think there definitely could be. I mean, I always stick, I'll be honest, like I do always stick within those ranges and I do work with my athletes on an individual basis. Like I typically find, like, for me, I typically take a gel at 45 minutes. Um, I alternate water and Gatorade, never hitting, obviously, Gatorade with my gel. Um, But so for me, typically, my coach and I actually debated on this. She was like, I want you to take a gel every 30 minutes. I'm like, you feel good every 45. Um, So, you know, for me, it's like every 45 minutes seems to work well. Um, And, but yeah, I, I do, I do think that, like, again, I take that range. I have athletes try it out. I have people that feel like they need to be at the higher end of it. Um, So in that range, I think it's going to be, we're going to need to rely more on individual feeling. But again, if you're in that 30 to 60, you're in the evidence-based range. So I think it's kind of hard to say like, does someone in that range need more or need a little bit less? Obviously you're going to be out there longer. Um, But I don't think they need, like, I wouldn't say someone needs only like 20 grams per hour or someone needs 90. Um, I think we can still use that same range and kind of play with it. Okay. And that's you, good to you know. had started talking before a little bit about caffeine. Why don't you, you want to? Sure, sure, sure. Yep. So caffeine um, is very individual. It is performance enhancing if you know how your body reacts to it. Like I am a coffee drinker. I drink coffee every morning. Um, I race morning. That's always a question. Yes, I drink coffee race morning. And what I say is if your body's used to it, it can help kind of ready the system, so to speak, right? Kind of clear out the system. Yeah. So if you're someone that drinks coffee yeah. every single morning, yes, you should absolutely still drink coffee. If you find, like, I know I my I always get, you know, pre-race jitters, I'm anxious. I'm going to keep it to a cup, um, whereas on a weekday, I might drink more than that, like maybe two cups. But because my anxiety, my adrenaline are pumping so hard, I'm going to just, like, make sure I'm having, you know, usually I have it right when I wake up, Um 
So I always say if you drink caffeine, if you're used to it, definitely keep that morning routine. Don't change that. The way you use caffeine throughout a race, um, it was interesting. I was just reading an article uh, from um, that Molly Huddle wrote the other day about her own habits with caffeine. Yeah. yeah did you article. see it too? It was a great one. Yeah. Um, yes. And she uses like run gum sometimes. And um, I tend to recommend if you have a nervous stomach to avoid caffeine really close to the race, right? So maybe not taking any nutrition product because I typically recommend kind of topping off your glycogen stores like 10 minutes before the race starts, 15 minutes with whether it's a gel or whether it's a chew, whether it's a sport bean, whether it's Gatorade, whether it's, you know, a banana, like some carbohydrate, but I typically, and I got to tell you, like, this was something I learned myself years ago in, in triathlon. I was taking a caffeinated gel 15 minutes before race. And I mean, I have my master's in this and I still screwed it up, right? Like it's learning your body. So no <laughs> one's perfect. Let's say that. Um, but actually I, again, this is my coach. Give my coach Vicky a ton of credit. Um, she, she said to me like, wait a second, wait a second, you're taking a caffeinated gel. And I was like, oh my God, I am, you know? And I was like, in my mind, I was like, I drink caffeine every day. Like, but because the adrenaline was surging so much, your, your stomach is, can feel upset, right? Like, so giving yourself a jolt of caffeine right before you start the race is probably not the best idea then for some, some people might feel cool as a cucumber, you know, they're able to keep those race nerves sort of under wraps. Caffeine won't bother them. And they might find that taking doing run gum or like, again, any of these products out there that have caffeine added might be beneficial. I tend to recommend like I keep mine for the end of the race. Um, we all metabolize caffeine differently. So some people it's going to hit them sooner than others. Um, I typically wait till the second half of my marathon to start using caffeinated gels. Um, some people believe in the kind of steady stream of caffeine throughout a race, um, which in a marathon I think can work for some if it's longer, um, like if it's an ultra, I would not recommend that strategy because you're going to end up with a ton of caffeine and likely GI issues. Cause think about caffeine yeah. stimulates, I mean, it's a stimulant, so it's also can stimulate your intestines, right? So too much. And if you don't know how you react to caffeine, you should certainly not be like, oh, let me just try this caffeinated gel, you know, on my long run. It's probably going to go poorly because it can cause jit. It'll cause jitters. It'll cause shakiness. It'll cause um, GI distress if you're not used to it. Yeah. And to your point, I think it's caffeine can yep. be great. It has an er it has an ergogenic aid. Yeah. Yep. When totally. done properly. Mm -hmm. So to your point, I think it's important to practice taking yes. in a race situation yep. that is absolutely to make sure hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, I think that's practicing everything in a race. Like so if you're doing a half even, you know, as part of your I've done 18 milers as part of my marathon training and like just I always say to people, like, you want to make there's so many other unpredictable things on race day, right? Like, we can't control the weather as much as I was like praying to the gods last year, like the days before the boss. I'm sure you guys have been in definitely been in that position. We lucked out last yes. year, it was a crazy day. Um, but um, you know, like the the less there are the more you know, rather, about your nutrition, about how your body reacts, like, and still even then, like you want to have a backup plan. Um for certain things. Like I always make sure I have a little bit extra salt. Like I do salt tablets a lot of times I'm a heavy sweater. So, or I throw an extra gel on me. What if I drop one? Right. Um, so I think knowing your race nutrition strategy, it just, it's another thing that you're sort of like, you want to control all the variables that you can, since you can't control all of them. Absolutely. So conversely, 
Um, we just talked about the importance of practicing your mm-hmm. nutrition on runs yep. and races before yep. your goal race. Um, what are your thoughts about doing a few runs completely fasted? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's definitely a theory around that. Um, and what I say is like typically, especially if it's um, a run that you're not trying to, like I don't recommend it usually during like a key workout, right? So if you are getting into those really high heart rate zones, let's say you're doing hill repeats or you're doing intervals, you're doing mile repeats, you're doing a track workout, um, because that is more likely that you're going to bonk in those situations. Um, so I think if you're doing a fasted workout, I typically am more of a fan of like the lower, the lower heart rate, um, runs where you don't need to hit those. Cause again, when you're hitting those higher heart rate, when you're going over your VO2 max, your body's going to switch over to really wanting, uh, it needs carbohydrate. It can't break down fat fast enough. Um, it's again, unless you're sort of these more elite runners that have that intramuscular fat storage, um, which most of us aren't, um, we're not, you know, Shalene and Molly, but, um, it's, I think that some of those runs, especially like the first thing in the morning, um, if it's an, you know, about an hour, even if it's a little bit over an hour, um, as long as I think you, you ate well the day before, I think, you know, there is some theory around, um, that fat adapted training. So doing some fasted runs. So I do think that there is some evidence that supports that. Um, I mean, I typically do my morning runs fasted unless it's a speed workout and then I'll take a gel or I'll take a rice cake with jelly or honey on it or something like that for just quick carbs. Okay. Yeah. That helps. You raise a good point too, that, um, you know, a lot of our runners say, well, I'm fine on a 20 mile training. Oh, we hear it all the time. Drives me nuts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we say, well, right. But when you're running on race day, you're going to be burning glycogen a lot faster and your body has to get used to absorbing it. Yep. So, um, before we go, because we want you to be able to yeah. your dinner. We, <laughs> Thank you, ladies. We would, yep. be, we would yeah. be remiss if we didn't touch a little bit on um, yes. body image and disorder mm. eating because your specialty, um, among your many specialties yeah. within um, your practice, is um, yes. disorders. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everyone has struggled mm-hmm. at times with yep. body yep. image. But for us as coaches, something that we struggle with is – how to tell when running becomes unhealthy, mm, in other words, yeah. when that what we're supposed to be doing, all the miles we're doing, yeah. we're training for our goal yep, race, yep. becomes an unhealthy yes, addiction. Yes, yep. Talk to us about sure. that and, and what, what your tips are for those who who may either be supporting a friend or who um, are looking at themselves and wondering, is this normal? Absolutely. Yeah, no. And thank you. Thank you for bringing this up. Thank you for asking this question. And actually, ironically, Cindy emailed me today um, about this very topic. So there might be another article coming out soon. Stay tuned. Um, Yeah, just it's such an important topic. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think some of the biggest things, some of the red flags that I, I talk to a lot of coaches in my work too, whether it's college coach or elite coaches or high school coaches or youth coaches, I think one of the biggest things is an athlete's, you know, inability to, um, sometimes to to be able to listen to their body, right? I mean, we're all runners. We've all been guilty of pushing through discomfort. I mean, we push through discomfort. That's part of being a marathon runner, right? But if you tell an athlete, listen, like part of your training plan is, you know, you have a scheduled rest day or I want you, I don't want you running this kind of mileage like for this week. I want you to take a down week. I want you to take an extra day. 
and someone really has a hard time, like they, they, there's almost like an obsession with the exercise. Like they feel like they cannot rest. And I have plenty of athletes that, you know, they, they can't take a day off. They can't take a rest day. Um, it's just too uncomfortable for them. They don't feel like they can eat if they take they, that's another red flag. Um, but yeah. there is like this, you know, there's a difference between, there's actually a, there's a phenomenal, phenomenal book. It's called um, Eating Disorder in Sport. Uh, it was written by Ron Thompson and Roberta Sherman, who are just incredibly brilliant humans who've done a lot of research into this topic. They're total trailblazers. And they do this comparison between an anorexic athlete and like a, just a diligent athlete. And they talk about like comparison of like performance despite pain, um, you know, putting in extra effort. But I think when someone is like, again, you as a coach, I'm sure like you want an athlete to rest sometimes. You want an athlete yeah. not to, to be pushing certain miles. You have, like, I know my coach, we do periodization and there's, there's recovery weeks. And like, I love recovery weeks, you know, whereas like a lot of my athletes that are really struggling, they can't tolerate it. Um, right. You know, I think if you're seeing persistent, uh, persistent fatigue, which can be a sign of a lot of things, but if you're noticing that an athlete is, you know, maybe you're noticing in, in their training, and if you have your athletes do heart rate or anything, like if their yeah. heart, yeah, okay, good. Yeah. So if you're noticing those heart rates are like really, really high, um, are they not recovering properly? Is their nutrition off? Right. I mean, they could be high for other reasons. Um, but you know, is this, their sort of inability to give their body a break. Right. Um, I think a big thing, and I don't know if you guys check in with your athletes about this, but, um, you know, there's a lot of talk and it's something we focus on um, in our female athlete program at Boston Children's is um, like for females is the, are the menstrual cycles, right? So, yes. And, yeah. And there, it's tricky. Yeah. We coach a lot of athletes yep. who are of all ages. Yeah. So while we have athletes yeah. who yeah. Um, would be able to track their periods, we also yep. have a lot of yep. athletes who yep. are in perimenopause. Yeah. It's tricky. Mm-hmm. to no fault of theirs, yep. they wouldn't know yep. whether they're eating. So yeah. Yeah. It's just one marker. Yeah, no, exactly. Oh yeah, it's absolutely. It's just one marker. Yeah. And then you've got a million athletes on birth control pills and uh, right. IUDs, which is, is always like, I mean, it's a big battle in our job too. Um, you know, cause someone doesn't have to be, what I think is another important point to make and is good for sort of coaches to hear too. If there's coaches listening is that, you know, it's like eating disorders, disorder eating, you can't always see them. Right. Weight, BMI, yes, sometimes, I mean, I certainly have my emaciated underweight runners that I work with, but I've worked with plenty and continue to work with plenty of women who have anorexia, who have bulimia, who have struggled with binge eating disorder, who are totally normal weight or might even appear in a bit of a larger body. So it's not, you know, it's, you can't judge a book by its cover. Okay. And not all like you know, you have some athletes that are just naturally like leaner and they might get their periods and be totally healthy. So it's like, I think we have to be very careful, um, with like judging a book by its cover. Cause plenty, I, I am thinking of my practice right now. I see a lot of athletes and I have many that are perfectly normal weight, but have really, really nasty, horrific eating disorders. So, um, you know, I, I think inner in, injuries, excuse me, is another thing to look at. Do you have an athlete that's getting constantly injured or is sick all the time? Right. That yeah. could be a big red flag that they're not getting enough nutrition in their diet because they're not recovering, right? Or their body. I mean, stress fractures happen. I mean, they ha- I've had stress fractures and I've had my bone density tested and it's great. But, um, you know, it's like we do see stress fractures a lot if someone's under fueling. That's one of the classic symptoms. Um, 
believe it or not, GI issues can even come from underfueling. There, like if you take a look at the, um, if you're familiar with the relative energy deficiency and sport model, or the Reds model. Yes. Yeah, I mean that is a great one because it's not necessarily it's not always an eating disorder because a lot of times they see athletes just in a deficit because they don't realize what they need to be eating. So you'll see things like again that fatigue. You'll see things like digestive issues, disrupted sleep. So I think there's sort of two categories like someone who has, you know, an eating disorder, um, you know, again, weight, not always a sign. Um, I think really paying attention to, again, just their overall attitude to how someone's overall temperament They're, you know, are they becoming very irritable all the time? Are you noticing a real mood shift in them? Um, you know, those could be, you know, those could certainly be signs, frequent injury, frequent illness, um, those are some, those are some major ones. I'm trying to think if I'm missing. I mean, there's, there's a lot of categories. That's super helpful though, yeah. with respect to dividing the reds from yes. eating yep. because yep. they are very different yes. because a lot of times with respect to reds, it's, it's often errors where the athlete believes that they're, they're doing everything they can. Yep. They're not trying yep. to control their eating, right. but they're just missing the mark. Yep. Yep. And that often happens with, I think athletes who are busy yep. people yes. who aren't just devoting yes. their life to training, yep. not mindful, yep. understandably. Yep. 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 So if you've got a busy yep. parent who's totally. training and also mm-hmm. having to do mm-hmm. all the other things outside of training, yep. Yep. they're not necessarily taking care of their body. Totally. Totally. And yep. that could cause reds. Yep. Yep. Um, wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah, this, this is so, so helpful. And, and we are going to let you go and eat your dinner. But <laughs> can you let our listeners know how to get in touch with you and sure. follow up with you and, um, you know, kind of what you provide for, for your clients? Yeah, absolutely. So I do, my, my website is the best way to get in touch with me. Um, it's Laura Moretti RD. So that's L-A-U-R-A-M-O-R-E-T-T-I-R-D. So registered com, And I do have a, um, there's an info you can send an email um, and it comes, it comes over to us. Um, so that's, that's probably the best way. Um, I am on, you know, all the, all the social medias. Uh, so people can follow me Instagram. Um, what is my Instagram handle? Yeah. All of your information in our show notes, but we, you're in Boston. So we really hope yes. we can meet you. I would love here. that. I would love that. Yeah. I was supposed to run. I qualified, but I'm having a baby this summer. So <gasps> thank you. Those are two, the two years I miss Boston were both yeah. more pregnancies or just having babies. So yeah. Yeah. It's uh, y'all be out there cheering though, for sure. And I would love to meet you guys when you're here. That would be awesome. We will yes, definitely arrange definitely. that. We're coming Fabulous. Thursday this year. So awesome. Well, I am here. So <laughs> okay, great. well, you have been incredibly helpful. We really appreciate Aww. how you broke everything down so clearly for us and our listeners. And sure. We have no doubt that our listeners will greatly benefit from all awesome wisdom and advice that you share with us. So thank you so much, Laura. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you guys for the work you're doing. Coaches are awesome. So like I said, I'm my coach and I have a long-term relationship. So coaches are very important people. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye.